Hello friends, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. For those of you tuning in for the very first time, we're grateful that you found us. Don't know how you found us, would love to know how you found us, but either way, we are glad that you have um, tuned in today. Every Tuesday, we drop an episode of Mavericks and Misfits, and if you're ever interested in hearing some of the previous episodes, not only can you find those probably in your podcast feed if you just scroll up and look at the history list of the episodes we've released. But if you want them in all one location, go to maverickmisfit.com. Very, very, very simple website that we created that hosts every single episode that we have done on Mavericks and Misfits. I think there's been about 161, 162 episodes. Not quite sure of the exact number, but um, I'm just grateful to be able to speak into your life for about 30 minutes every single Tuesday. And um, what you see is what you get, or more specifically, what you hear is what you get. Nothing super fancy about this, but I like to speak into your life about kingdom things, issues of the kingdom. I'm an unapologetic Christian, and most of what we share is for Christians, although we do touch on a lot of things that are going on in the culture, because my my perception is that uh, the church in general in America is becoming much more like the culture than the culture is being impacted by the church. I hate to report that sad news, but I do think it is true. And the state of affairs in uh, Christendom in America um, is not anything to be overly excited about. Now, having said that, I am grateful that God has always and will always work through a consecrated remnant. So when I'm talking perhaps with a critical eye on what I see going on in the church in America, I I need to probably remind you regularly, that is what is going on at large. But often, um, if we, you know, are discerning properly, what's going on at large in American Christendom is not actually Christ. It's not actually the church. It is that shallow, superficial, um, inauthentic expression of Christianized thoughts or morals or ideas, and yet it lacks the actual presence and endorsement of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so the reason why I say that is because we get the wonderful privilege of being um, a consecrated remnant in the midst of a, I guess, an otherwise unconsecrated representation of uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so my hope is that all of you are listening all of you who are listening um, can kind of catch the pulse that I am intentionally provoking you to think about your Christianity. I'm intentionally provoking you to go deeper. I'm calling you as the Lord continually calls me and other voices that he raises up in my life continually call me to um, cut against the grain, to give pushback against the stream you know, swimming upstream, I guess, um, the, the, the flow of what is happening in the professing church in America is, is kind of scary. And so I don't want you to get sucked into that vortex of, um, you know, the, the new norm. Um, some of the stuff that's happening in our churches breaks the heart of the Lord. And so I want you to be a maverick. I want you to not fit in, in the, you know, lowest common denominator expression of Christianity. I want you to buck the system. Doesn't mean you're a punk. Doesn't mean that you're obnoxious. It just means that you are a discerner of truth. You are a discerner of spirits. You are a person who hears the voice of the Lord 
and that you are going to intentionally live in a way that no matter what is happening in the culture, or no matter what is happening in the um, modern expression of the church, that you're saying, no, actually, I'm going to be a person of the word. I'm going to be a person of the spirit. I'm going to actually believe the Bible. I'm actually going to live the Bible. I'm not going to be woke because I have something better. I'm awakened. And um, guys, you have to be somebody, I believe through fasting and praying is the best way in studying the word, but in whatever means by which you, you get the discernment of what God is actually saying and doing in our generation, you have to be that person. And if you're not intentionally being a type of Christian that is like, I call it pressing in because I don't have a better phrase, but it's like God is constantly inviting us to go deeper with him. He's constantly calling us to avoid the lukewarmness, the status quo representation of Christianity because it's inauthentic and it doesn't save. He's actually not in that. Um, there's only like, <laughs> there's only one representation of Jesus Christ that is endorsed by God. And I'm not talking about denominations. No denomination of Christianity has a corner on the market of all things kingdom. But what I'm saying is there are some fundamental foundational principles that are revealed in the word of God that define what, 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 a, what being a Jesus follower is. And um, I promise you it's immeasurably deeper um, and immeasurably more costly than what we see portrayed in the modern church. You can do with that whatever you want. Maybe it's just a little hors d'oeuvre to kind of whet your appetite because I, I just, I live with this urgency. I communicate it regularly on this podcast and on the messages uh, on transforming truth that I preach mostly at Antioch Outpost here in Bethlehem, Georgia. Um, I, I just live with this urgency and I'm not going to quit. You'll know I've, I've fallen off the wagon. I don't, I'm not saying this as if it's going to happen, but theoretically you'll, you'll know that I would have fallen off the wagon if you ever see or hear or discern me being casual about Christianity. Some of you are zealots. You're born to be zealots. God raised you up in this generation because he, he desired for somebody to be a torch in uh, the midst of a, a generation of Christians that are growing dim and dark. And you're supposed to be zealous. You, He's raised you up to be, you know, at a higher level than what you see all around you. And that does by necessity make you a misfit in a lot of churches and a lot of, um, you know, communities of faith. You, you're just going to be that girl or that guy. And people come, can roll their eyes at you and they can think, oh, there she goes again. There he goes again. And they just want you to settle. They'll even tell you, settle down. They'll tell you you're too intense. They'll tell you, just bring it down a notch. And they think they're doing you a favor, but they're actually warring against the purpose of God in your life. And when that happens to you over time, um, like consistently, when you hear from lots of people that you're too intense, you're too zealous, you're too radical, you're too consecrated, you're too committed, they'll tell you you're a religious spirit. They'll tell you you're operating in a performance mentality. They'll tell you all this stuff. So it's very important that you know your heart and you know the voice of the Lord because the Lord is actually raising up people who will not burn at a lower level, but burn at an even higher level. And so for those of you that feel that in your heart, like you're just so ridiculously in love with Christ 
that nothing else really matters all that much or nothing matters more than that. That's what he wants from every single one of his followers. He wants every single one of his followers to be so ridiculously off the charts in love with him that by comparison, nothing else really matters. That's why like radical Christians in this generation, and I I call them radical because they're radical by comparison to the lukewarm church. They're really just normal. If you study the New Testament and you look at the expression of Christianity in the New Testament where people are selling their lands and giving their money uh, from the proceeds of those sales to, to the kingdom, they're, they're dying for their faith. They're getting, um, they become homeless. They become jobless. They carry the cross. They deny themselves. They deal with persecution. And, you know, that was normal. Why? Because that was the radical love level that people had and still should have, that marked them as somebody who had died in Christ, been raised in Christ, and now understood what Paul said, that they are not their own, they're bought with a price. And so when you live like that, you're not going to fit in. But you still have to press in. And you still have to live among people. Like You can't just wear the badge of, oh, I'm a radical, and then stand on the sidelines and point your fingers at all the normalized Christians. I don't have any respect for a person that says they have the fire of God, the revelation of God, the wisdom of God, and that all of that fire revelation of wisdom seemingly calls them to walk away from the church because they've got a superior view. No, what you've got is pride when you think that way. You're proud. You may have revelation, but you don't have humility and revelation without humility is disastrous. And so what we need is a bunch of fiery, radical mavericks who are by nature misfits, who won't walk away from the church, but will reform the church. If you've walked away from the church, you're sinning. You are in sin. If you have given up on the church and walked away, you're in sin. And I get it. I've got all the reasons you've got to walk away. So does everybody else listen to this podcast. But if you have walked away because, um, oh, it's not real. It's not like it was in the first century. It's not authentic. We've moved so far away. It's uh, it's more of a Roman paradigm of uh, government than it is an ecclesiastical New Testament representation of church, blah, 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 blah. No, the bottom line is, is that somebody that walks away from the church has a heart of a rebel. And you, you miss the call of God. You're operating your pride. That's fine. If you, if you don't think you need church, that's fine. Live with that. But they need you. We need you. And so instead of walking away and, you know, writing blogs and recording your own podcast about why the church is defunct, why don't you be like Jesus who never walked away from the church and still hasn't? And I, I promise you, he sees way more wrong with it than you do. So humble yourself. Get back connected to a local body of believers. You're accountable. You know, the Bible says a lot about having spiritual authority in your life. I know people hate that. They hate that. But when they hate that, they're actually hating the revelation of Scripture. God didn't hate it. God initiated it. Human authority within the church is God's idea. Yes, we all have the Holy Spirit, but we have different graces upon our life. We have different um, giftings upon our lives. And so what God says in his word is that we are, submit to, we are to submit to spiritual authority. That's right. You need somebody that you, to whom you are accountable. Like, I get it. You're a maverick. That's fine. I am too. But I'm accountable. I'm accountable to the senior leadership team at Antioch Outpost. Meet with them regularly. Um, I'm accountable to um, what I consider my spiritual parents. Uh, that is uh, Todd and Karen Smith, 
uh, they pour into us. Yes, we are brothers and sisters. Yes, we are co-laborers. But I intentionally put myself underneath their authority because I need that. And so it's an amazing thing to me that in this generation, and the younger you are, the more susceptible you are. There's a lady on Facebook, and I don't, I don't follow her anymore. I, you know, I have friends that are friends with her. But all she does is rail against the local church. She rails against pastors, and she rails against authority. And you know what her following is? A bunch of people that have that same bitter, rebellious spirit. And it appeals to people, and it makes them feel holy. And the fact of the matter is they're going to stand before God and God's going to say, why didn't you honor my word? Why did you actually lead others astray? And so when I, when I see stuff like that, man, I pray for those people. God, I pray for her right now in the name of Jesus. I ask you to awaken her and all that follow her in the name of Jesus. Open her eyes and take away the deception on her Lord in Jesus name. So when I see stuff like that, I say to myself, oh, that person got wounded that person got hurt or that person just doesn't want to be accountable. And since God didn't make a position for that kind of person in leadership in the church, they carved one out for themselves. They made themselves a little Ziklag. And if you're familiar with Ziklag in the life of David, God let Ziklag get burned to the ground. One of the things that Paul wrote in the book of Galatians chapter number one, verse 21, it's an amazing verse to be honest with you. I I love what he wrote. And remember, you know, when Paul was writing these things, he's making a statement. He's not trying to write a chapter in the word. He's just writing to the church of Galatia. He's writing to Christians and he's having to, he's kind of having to rescue them because they had allowed some people to get in there with a different gospel. And, um, you know, they were accusing Paul of all sorts of things. And Paul was basically, he wrote the book of Galatians to remind people that they're free in Jesus, that they don't have to live under the law that they don't have to live as slaves to outward signs of religiosity. And so Paul makes this statement in the first chapter of the book of Galatians. It's actually chapter 20, uh, verse 24 of chapter 1. And it's just this little phrase, and it says, and they glorified God because of me. Now just let that verse sink in. Paul is saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore without pride, without swagger, without anything of the flesh. It's a perfectly holy statement. And he said, they glorified God because of me. Now, I'm not morbid, and I don't want to sound cryptic, but you're going to die one day. And let's just say we all die before the second coming of Jesus Christ. They're going to bury us, and um, more than likely there'll be a tombstone, a headstone above ground. And typically those headstones will have your name, date of your birth, date of your death. And sometimes they'll have an epitaph. They'll have a statement. And I thought to myself, if there was a bet, the best statement I could ever have written of me, I would use Galatians 124. I don't know that I will, but I would use it. Theoretically, I would have this on my tombstone. They glorified God because of me. Why would I want that? Because that's the reason you're alive. The reason that you were born was to bring God glory. The the functional purpose of your life is to be such a representative of the grace, the love, the mercy, the holiness, and the character of God to live that out in such a way that when people watch you over time, 
God gets the glory. Could you imagine that? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's in your Bible. Paul simply said, they glorified God because of me. That means Paul was able to say, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's true, it's without the leaven of flesh or pride. Paul said, when people looked at his life, they gave God the glory. Something on Paul redirected people to God. That is the reason you're alive. That's the reason I'm alive. And so I, I want to just briefly talk about this because he made this, Paul made this succinct yet I think amazing statement of himself. He wasn't boasting again. He's not strutting around. He's just stating the facts of how God had used Paul in unlikely ways and how God was using Paul helped people see that Jesus Christ, Paul's savior was Lord of all. So God's getting all the glory through Paul's life. So what about you? When your time on earth is over, wouldn't it be kind of awesome? Wouldn't it be this like amazing, great treasure to be able to declare that other people glorified God because of how you had lived your life? I mean, can it get better? I mean, people are going to talk about you after you're dead. What, what are they going to say? Of some, of some people, it'll be said, oh, she made lots of money. She was successful. Okay. Uh, others are going to be known for their great intellectual capacity. Oh, man, that guy was brilliant. Some will be remembered for maybe books that they wrote, songs that they sang, um, you know, awards that they received during their lifetime. Some will be remembered for the children they raised. And I want to comment here. I'm, I'm not downplaying like the significance of those things. There's nothing wrong with any of those. Nothing wrong with getting an award, being recognized for some accomplishment. Certainly nothing wrong with raising wonderful children. Um, nothing wrong with making a lot of money. But do you want that to be the summary statement of your life? I don't. Because what I, what I want, the question I want answered is, did anything that I did in my life or did the majority of my life after coming to Christ, did it result in God being glorified through my life? I want you to think about that because if you don't think about it, it's not going to probably happen. How do you structure your life, your life? Because you, you are accountable for your life. You're not accountable for anybody else's life. You're only accountable for how you responded to the leadership of the Lord. And the Lord will lead you to live your life in a way that brings him glory. And here's the beauty of that. When your life intentionally is structured and lived out for the purpose of bringing God glory. And when you become aware of how that is happening, that is the best life you can lead. You will be supremely satisfied. Nobody living for their own glory is happy. They have moments of pleasure, but they aren't lastingly happy. They're not lastingly satisfied, especially if you're a Christian, because if you're a Christian, if you're a true Jesus follower and you're living your life for your own glory, you're actually living in a way that is opposite of what God intends for you. So he can't bless that. It doesn't mean you won't be successful in the eyes of the world. But guys, I'm going to tell you, Christians were made for more than the American dream. I promise you, a lot of Christians who are living the American dream will wake up in eternity and find out the whole thing was a nightmare. 
because the goal of God, and this is a recent in the history of mankind, this is a very recent phenomenon, but most American Christians don't even question it. They don't even examine it. What am I talking about? The idea that you work hard between the ages of maybe 20 and 75, the default thing, the, the, the guiding principle is in this world's system, earn as much money as you can from the age of 20 to 75, stock enough of it away, so that you can live the last maybe 15 to 25 years of your life free. Vacationing, having no worries, having plenty of money set aside, enjoying the last few years of your life because you worked so hard to get enough money to be retired and successfully so. And so a lot of Christians are literally living year after year, decade after decade in America with the eye, and they got one eye. I'm talking about Christians. They got one eye on God and one eye on their retirement portfolio because they've been trained that the way you live a successful life is to get as much money as you possibly can. Enjoy some of it along the way. It's not all a grind, you know, for those 50 years that you're working, but to get enough work real hard, get an education, get married, get some children, get a house, get some jobs, try to stay out of debt, earn enough money because you're going to hit 65 one day, maybe in our culture, 75, you know, you're going to hit that, that time period where you're going to want to retire and enjoy the last 15 to 20 years of your life with no responsibilities and a ton of money. And we call that success. And we admire people that do that well. But I wonder how many of those people could wake up on a daily basis and say, people are glorifying God because of me. Now, I'm not a killjoy. I'm not saying that you, if you have money and you've got a nest egg that you're not glorifying God. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying when that's your purpose, you're not glorifying God. You, you, you can't tag God under your American dream. You can't. They compete with one another. And so if, if like most people that are committed to the American dream of having a bunch of money and retiring and enjoying those last, you know, that last season of life, most people would be shocked if God showed up and said, Hey, you know, that half a million dollars you've got in your retirement portfolio, I want you to invest a hundred thousand dollars into a a village in East Africa. So my people over there can have a church building and they can have running water and they can have um, a latrine. They can have, you know, plumbing. And they, they don't have any money, but those are my kids. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, that money I've blessed you with, I want you to sow it over there at a very high level. And most Christians would be like, oh, that's the devil. <laughs> that's the devil trying to get my money. Or that's, that's somebody. Most people would have such a hard time hearing God say, actually, all that money you saved, I gave to you. And I'm actually asking you to give some of it into the kingdom. I'm going to take care of you. But sow it now while you can. Most, most Christians living the American dream could not even hear God say that. And so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, can we say with Paul that people glorified God because of me? Do you give God the glory? Like, does your life glorify God to you? Let's even just stay there for a minute. When you look at your life, do you know God is getting the glory? Are you pleased with the Lord? Do you love the Lord more because of how you're living your life? You know, this, these are the questions that I think we should all be considering as we live out the rest of our lives. Um, I'm not real big on guilt. I don't want you to just, the, the goal of a podcast like this where I'm challenging you is not to produce guilt. It's to get you to think about your future. 
like when I'm, when I'm convicted by the Holy spirit that I've been doing something wrong, I don't turn around and stare at what I've been doing wrong. If, if, if I'm convicted of it, especially if it's a sin, like if it's a transgression, a sin, or just maybe missing the mark and Holy spirit says, Jeff, there's a better way. I don't turn around and just wallow in guilt over what I've done. I say, Oh God, forgive me for what I've done. Now help me to live differently moving forward. So these are these, this is the reason why I, I say stuff like this in the podcast, because I've just found over the years, most people don't think about their Christianity. They're just doing it. They're just living. And when, when, you know, when you see that going on at a high level in other people's lives and you get an awakening yourself, if that awakening causes you to run away from the church, again, I'll repeat this, you're missing the point. God wants you to help people. You don't run away from the people that are struggling just like you were struggling. What do you have that you did not receive? And Paul asked the question, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you have received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? So in other words, if you see something that is lacking in the church, why do you act like you're some superior person who's got this insight? If humility is attached to it, you say, oh, this is what God showed me. Other people need to see this. So instead of running away, I'm going to help them. Because that way people can say, oh, man, God used that lady in my life. God used that man in my life. The revelation that they received, they didn't run and hide with it. They didn't criticize us for not receiving it ourselves. They helped us to see what they saw. And those people glorify God because of you. So guys, everybody listening wants your life to count for something. But if your life doesn't reflect the beauty and, you know, the supreme worthiness of God, then it really matters very little what else you did with your life. So maybe ask yourself today, how am I intentionally living so that other people glorify God because of me? It's a valid question. How are you intentionally living so that other people who observe your life over a period of time can give God the glory? You need to know the answer to that question. And if you don't know the answer to that question, you need to go to the Lord and say, God, I'm not actually convinced that my life is intentionally glorifying you. I want to do that. Help me to understand. Maybe you don't think you're qualified for such a result to be able to say it, you know, right now in your life, they're glorifying God because of me. You may not think you're qualified for that, but if you're a Christian, then the reality is that to glorify God is the whole reason for your life. So we've got to want God's name. We've got to want God's fame. We've got to want God's glory to be reflected by how we're living our lives, our tiny little lives on planet earth. Yes, you're qualified. Yes, it matters. Yes, you should be pressing into this. So do it. To press into it was going to open up a thousand possibilities to you. It's not about quitting what you're doing or moving from where you live or, you know, you know, just this complete impossibly, you know, difficult overhaul of your life. He'll meet you right where you are. You don't have to have your name. That's the, one of the problems again with the American church. We, we just think it has to be big to be significant. Some of you need to hear that. It doesn't have to be big to be significant. It has to be true. It has to be authentic. It has to be intentional to be significant. There's no such thing as accidental consecration and glorifying God with your life. If it's accidental, it's unrewardable. We, we need to be intentionally aligned saying, God, I want to partner with you in this life so that my life makes much of Jesus when people see me and not much of myself. Because to glorify God is your purpose. 
And I think God's waiting. He's awaiting your embracing of that purpose. He's not going to hide from anybody, any of you that make his glory the purpose of your life. He's going to reveal himself more greatly to you once you come to this place of saying, Lord, I'm all in. Because that's his offer to you for you to be able to say with confidence, other people are glorifying God because of me. And you're not going to strut. You're not going to chest your thump, uh, thump your chest. You're not going to, you're not going to be saying, "Hmm, look at all the glory for God coming off my life. I must be something." Nah, because to glorify God is also going to carry with it the, the built-in process of you staying humble. To glorify God will mean that you're always walking behind Him. He's out front getting the glory, and you're happy to see it. You're happy to watch it occur. So maybe this hits on a trust level with you. Do you trust God that if you commit your life to be about his glory, do you trust him that he'll still bless you, make you happy, satisfy you, fulfill your longings? Do you trust God that if you give your life away, you'll find it? Do you trust God that if you die, he'll raise you up? I'm talking about dying to yourself, dying to the world dying to the American dream that he'll raise you up to something better. You believe that some of you do. I hope all of you will, but some of you already do and you're not crazy and you're not extreme. And yeah, um, you are a misfit, but we need more of you. Don't let anybody turn down the dial on you. Don't advertise it for yourself. It's not about you. Let God promote you. Oh, let God promote you. Please. Stop the self-promotion. Just let God promote you. And when you get behind him and his glory is out in front, you're going to be so happy. You're going to love it. It's going to be the life you've always waited for. All right, Paul, we want to say this with you. One day we'll meet you in glory. And I want to say this. I pray this for myself and I pray it for all that are listening to today's episode. Father, we want you to be glorified in our lives. We want other people to look at us and see you. We say with John the baptizer, if we have to decrease, which we will, in order for Jesus to increase in his glory from our lives, then so be it. Help us to endure. Help us to rejoice. Help us to trust. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, we'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.